0: This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Glad to see you today. It's going to be a great day. You probably saw we're going to talk about Moses. So uh, this is our eighth week about uh, encounters of a God kind. I pray one of them really touched you. And if they hadn't, just maybe today God's going to get a hold of you in a good way. Stretch us out a little bit here. Hey, before we get going, I, I love to honor people. Will, why don't you stand up? He, this is Will Bacon. And you may say, what's so important about Will Bacon? Well, he just went through Marine's basic training, and so, blessing. We're glad to see you home. We're proud of you. Proud of you. That's awesome. Hey, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Get your hand up real high. We're going to have uh, large doses of the Word of God today, so you probably want to get a Bible. Once you get it, go to the first part of the Bible there in Exodus chapter 2. That's where we'll begin. As you're turning to Exodus, and our ushers are getting you a Bible, and we appreciate our ushers, bless them. Let me just share a few things that are going on. Actually, if you've ever studied uh, the Jewish heritage, the Jewish customs, the Jewish way of life, today is what they refer to as the Shemitah. And this is a very, very uh, big day in Jewish customs. That uh, between now and two weeks from late tonight or early Monday morning will be the blood moon. The word Shemitah literally means a shaking. A shaking. Can be a good shaking, can be a bad shaking, can be a shaking of our economy. But I, I do believe we are on the verge of seeing incredible shaking in America. And this is just my opinion, the things I get in my heart when I pray, that America is getting ready to come into some strong doses of judgment. And so in saying that, I, I encourage you, just be a person of repentance. And If you've got unforgiveness in your heart, um, God's a sovereign God. I'm not going to be dogmatic and say God's going to do this or that. But if you study this historically... This is a significant time, so a great time to be praying. Actually, the Hebrews, the Jews around the world, they've marked this month for literally years, the month of September 2015. So not to put any fear in you, but to hang on to God and pursue Him, all right? Exodus chapter 2 is where we're going to begin. Before we get there, I've got to give you a little history. You remember the man named Joseph? He went into Egypt. He was sold as a slave, became a prisoner. Before long, he became the Pharaohs chief man. Now understand the Pharaoh would be the the king, the president of Egypt. While he was under uh, the Pharaoh, there was great victory for the Jews. There was great favor upon him, but he dies. The Pharaoh dies. Joseph dies. And over a course of years, the new Pharaoh's raised up. Now, this guy, he begins to despise the Jews. He hates them. And he causes great distress and bitterness to come on them. And not only that, their population began to arise so much that he made a decree that any time a baby boy was born to the Hebrews, the Jews, they were to kill it. Wipe him out right then. Well, there was a man and woman who were the tribe of Levi, a priesthood tribe named Amram and Jochebed and they had a son named Moses. And so Moses is born into the world, And mama wouldn't kill him. Mama wouldn't do it. So for three months, she hides little baby Moses. And finally she realizes, I can't hide him no more. So she puts him in the basket. He begins to float down the river. And of all people that find him, it's the Pharaoh's daughter. So now this Jewish baby named Moses is raised in the Pharaoh's own palace. He's raised as, as an Egyptian So we pick up, he's no longer a baby here, we're in Exodus 2, verse 11. Now, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren. Now, when it says he went out to his brethren, in um, Hebrews 11, it specifically says that Moses refused to be called the daughter of the Pharaoh. He knew he was the Jewish boy. He knew his, his, his roots were that of the Hebrews. So he goes out and sees his brethren, and he looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way, and he looked that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian, and he hid him in the sand. Now, immediately right here, you see this man named Moses. He's got a past that's not going to be very good. He murders a guy. Understand when you read this right here, it just shows me once again that that the great men and women of the Bible, they had a flesh, just like me and you. Just because they ultimately did great things, didn't mean they were exempt from fleshly activities. So he kills this, this Egyptian. Verse 13, and when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting And he said to the one who did wrong, why are you striking your your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you kill the Egyptians? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Surely my sin has found you out. Now, every one of us, our sin is going to find us out. They're going to either find us out right here or they're going to find us out when we stand before God. But they're going to find us out. And so Moses is found out, verse 15. When the Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of the Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So he flees to Midian to escape punishment. Literally, this man named Moses is a fugitive who's now on the run. Not the hero of the Bible that you would think he never had no no, uh, bad things in his life. He does. So we go to Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. Now, it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, the Pharaoh who was after him. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. When did God acknowledge them? When they begin to cry out to Him. Anytime people on this earth begin to cry out to God, God hears our cries. And God responds. But it's wonderful to me to know, We have a God that acknowledges us. He has a heart for us to to love us and to help us. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert. Now, when I read this, you're talking about a major change in this guy's life, a huge contrast. He goes from being in the Pharaoh's palace as an Egyptian prince to now he's in the back pasture tending to the sheep. And when you look at this in his life, this this was a humbling experience to Moses, I believe, but yet God was preparing him to be a leader. And those days that he was tending those sheep, those weren't wasted days. Actually, those were days of development and training that God began to develop Moses in character. He began to develop Moses in integrity. He began to develop Moses even in faith. And the Bible is very clear, clear that if you're not faithful in the little, you'll never be faithful with the much. And so in Moses' life, if you're not faithful to taking care of the sheep, you're not going to be faithful in taking care of God's people. And so it wasn't wasted days. Actually, it was great days in his life. Keep reading. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Now, I don't know about you, but that'd get my attention. You look at stuff like that. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see the great sight. Why the bush does not burn? So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Right there, Moses has an encounter with God. He has an experience with God. And as I look at this passage here, Moses was a fugitive on the run for over 40 years. Before this happened, I I really wonder if he had the thought, what's going to happen to my life? Where am I going to end up in this life? And maybe that's where you're at right now. You say, man, I I don't know. What's ever going to happen to my life? Maybe you've messed up in life like Moses. But yet, even in this situation, even in a dark time in his life, he had an encounter with God. God's aware of you right now, okay? Verse number five. Then he said, "Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet." Now, in Jewish custom, the reason they would take their sandals off, it was out of respect and out of reverence. They had a fear of God, and I believe that's something that we must get a hold of again—a fear of God. And the Lord said to him. Take off your sandals of your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. And the reason it was holy ground, because God's visitation. Anytime God visits us someplace, that's holy ground to God. But when I look at this, how God said to him, Take off your feet and come into my my presence. How do you come into the presence of the Lord? Do we come in with reverence? Do we come in with respect? Do I raise my hands to God? Do I call out to him? Or do I come in just casually, half-heartedly, put my hands in my pocket and think, man, I can't wait till the Cowboys game today. I was going to say till the Cowboys lose today, but I knew you'd boo me. But so many times in our life, that's what we do. We become very casual in the things of God. And God doesn't want us to be that way. He wants us to express reverence and respect for Him. Keep reading here with me. Verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now remember that right there. At this time in his life, it said he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7. And the Lord said, I've surely seen the oppression of my people. God said, I've seen. And so when I read that statement right there, he sees things in our lives. He's aware of people's hurts and pains. Same chapter, verse 9. I know I'm jumping. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression of which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to the Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And so to this day, listen, God still uses people on earth to advance his cause right here. And God will use us. And so in this season of urgency, he calls Moses and says, I need you to go for me. Now look at Moses' response in verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh? And that I should bring the children of Israel out? And, and so when he says this right here, it's if he was saying, I'm inadequate. You got the wrong guy, Father God. I can't do that. And it's like he begins to give him a list of excuses. And so I look at his life there. The the first thing that he does is he he refers back to, I believe, his past. I can't go. I killed a man before. But yet here, God still calls him. Chapter 4. Look with me, starting in verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appear to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? Now to help you get a hold of this, this is my rod. This is the city of Jerusalem at the top is what that represents. I don't know if David Gomez is here, but David gave this to me years ago. Every now and I pick it up, I realize it's just a rod, but God said to him, What's in your hand? Because what's in our hand, God will use. No matter what's in your hand, God will use it. What's in your hand? In other words, what do you got? And so Moses said, Lord, all I got's a rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. I bet. What do you guys do? If this thing became a serpent right now, man, you guys as a man, pastor, he's got it today. I would run too. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out to your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and he caught it and it became a rod in his hand. And so right here, Moses begins to see the greatness of a living God. God saying, listen, dude, I'm the God of all power. Verse 5. That they may believe the Lord God of our fathers, of God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that He's appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. That will get your attention. And he said, put your hand back in again. And when he brought it out, it was restored. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these signs, or listen to your voice that you shall take away water from the river and pour it out on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the land. Now, he sees God do these things. Look at his next response. Verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent neither before me nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and I am slow of tongue. So he gets over and he starts making a list of excuses why he can't be God's spokesman. And this is very similar to us as human beings. We A lot of times we get hung up on our past and we say, oh man, my past is too bad. But Moses' past didn't disqualify him. And now the second point is oftentimes we get and we say, I'm not eloquent. I'm not talented. I don't have it. I got some weaknesses. But yet, Moses' weaknesses didn't disqualify him either. God uses people that have weaknesses. So watch what happens here. Verse 11. So the Lord said, who has made man's mouth genius? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have I not the Lord? Now therefore go. And when I see that therefore go, it's almost the Lord saying, quit whining. Quit being such a baby. Just, just go. Trust me. And I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall say. But he said, "Oh, my Lord, please sin by the hand of whomever else you may sin. He still won't agree. And so it says, so the Lord's anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Now, when it talks about the anger of the Lord, it's one of the most misunderstood ways of love toward man that God ever has for us. His anger wasn't ignorant of of a monarch wanting to beat him up. His anger was there, was looking at him and saying, listen, dude, I don't want you to live mediocre. I've got great plans for you. And so his anger was trying to to prompt Moses into being obedient. And I believe that's the same for many of us. Man, we need to stir up God on the inside of us and say, All right, God, where you lead, you feed. And where you guide, you provide. And God will move. He'll begin to take care of us. So you see all these different signs that happened to Moses. I mean, one right after the other. Actually, his brother Aaron goes with him. And remember the passage where he takes Moses' rod and he hits it to the ground and it becomes a serpent. And the Pharaoh had a bunch of sorcerers. And they mocked him. And they took their rods and they popped it on the ground. And their rods become serpents. And they look like, you don't have nothing. But next thing you know, Moses' and Aaron's rod eats theirs up. Just takes it. I love that thought. And so Moses, he gets to witness that. Now, I want you to think of all the experiences and encounters that Moses sees over and over again. He sees God turn the river into blood. He sees the the plague of of the frogs and the flies. How would you like that? How would you like to wake up tomorrow morning and have frogs in your bed? Flies. He sees the the Egyptians' livestock, they die. He sees the boils come upon them. He he, he sees the hailstones come. He sees locusts come in swarms. He sees the, the, the nightfall. He sees the firstborn child die over and over. Then he leads them right out of Egypt. And remember, he gets to the Red Sea, and the Pharaoh's closing in, and he's like, now what do we do, God? And remember what God says? What's in your hand, genius? And he takes that rod, and he splits the Red Sea. And you know, the splitting of the Red Sea, it becomes the significance or the sign of water baptism. They went in this way, but they came out that way. And then Moses gets to witness how God, uh, he leads them by day with a cloud, and he leads them by a pillar of night, a fire. And then every day he gets to witness God rain down manna and watch him eat. And then they start whining about manna, and he gets to watch God bring them a quail dinner. God gives them all quail because they whine so much. And he watches the rock split and water come out. And so I look at all this that that happens with Moses over and over the encounters and experiences. But one thing I begin to note with Moses is he never got satisfied with God. And what I mean by satisfied, he never got to the place in his life where he thought I've arrived. I've got enough God, because when we ever get that mentality, I'm satisfied, i got enough God, I quit seeking God, I quit pursuing God. But Moses kept seeking Him. He kept pursuing them, and not only did he keep pursuing God, when he led the Israelites, many people believe it was a minimum of a million people. Some people believe it was up to three million. And if you study their life, they're a bunch of whiners, they're a bunch of bedwetters, they whined all the time. They didn't serve God, but you know what? Just because they didn't serve God, Moses did. And I say that today. There's many of you in this room. You work with the Israelites, which represented the world. You work with people that are sinners. You go to school with people that are sinners. But they don't dictate in our life whether we're going to pursue God or not. I determined that. And that was one of the great things that I saw about Moses. He kept seeking God. He kept pursuing him. So now we fast forward all the way to Exodus Exodus chapter 33. And I know I skipped a bunch, okay? There's a bunch. I encourage you to read about it. But in chapter 33, things begin to really change. Verse 7. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and he called it the Tabernacle of Meeting. Now, the Tabernacle of Meeting here was the place of God. It was a portable, small-scale temple is what it was. And it was for his times to commune with God. And wherever he would go, he would take that tent with him. And when he would pitch that tent, you know what it meant? He's going to commune with God. The New Living Translation says, this was Moses' practice. This is what caused Moses to stand out. He would get into the presence of God. Keep reading. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of the meeting, which was outside the camp. Everyone who sought the Lord. It didn't say just a few. It said everyone who had the desire to seek the Lord, they would do this. Verse 8. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose. Each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he'd gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of the cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. This was a prayer room experience. There's a lot of people say God never talks with me. But do you put yourself in position to talk to God? Do you get quiet before the Lord? Do you take time to go into the prayer room? Because I believe this is still to this day God will still talk with his children when we take time to get in his presence. And God didn't talk to Moses because he got dressed in a phone booth. That's not why. He was a man. He had a flesh. We've seen seen that already because he killed a person. So we keep reading here, verse 10. All the people saw the pillar cloud standing at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose and worshipped each man in his own tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. That that is powerful right there. Let me me read you two passages here real quick. This is Numbers chapter 12, verse 6 through 8. Listen to this. Then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I the Lord make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. He says right there, when there's a prophet, I speak to prophets in visions and dreams. Listen to this. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face. And he didn't speak to Moses face to face because Moses was any better than anybody. He said something in there that caught my eye. He said, I speak to him because he's a servant of mine. You know what a servant does? A servant serves. Moses didn't serve God to make him look good. Moses served God to serve God and say, That's my father. Another passage on that is Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. He said, I've never spoken to man like I did to Moses. And in in Deuteronomy 34, verse 5, before he died, he said, Moses was my servant. Moses loved God. And so he speaks to him back in Exodus 33 in verse 11 as a friend. And he would return to his camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Now, here he's talking about Moses going into the tent and seeking God. And all of a sudden, in this writing, he throws in this guy named Joshua. He says Joshua at that point in his time is the young man. Why is that so significant? Well, when you study this whole thing out, Moses never got to go into the promised land. Never did. But that guy named Joshua did. And right here, this guy named Joshua literally becomes the Moses after he dies. He's the one who gets to lead him in. And a lot of people say, well, I wish I got to lead them in. Two things in that passage v- jump out right there in this verse. If you'll notice at the end of verse uh, 11, it said a, a, a servant, but his servant Joshua. Joshua was Moses' servant. He served him. He lived with him. He did life with him. The second thing I see that it jumps out is it said that when everybody else left, Joshua did not depart from the tabernacle. You know why Joshua got to lead him into the promised land? Is because Joshua was a servant, number one. Number two, he didn't depend on his talent, he didn't depend on his looks, he didn't depend on his, his education. You know what he depended on? Getting into God's presence. He stayed in the presence of God. And that's the same for every one of us. You want to be big in the kingdom of God? Hang out with God. I find in my own life, man, when I hang out with God, things are incredible. And you know what? To hang out with God, it's a choice. That's a choice of mine. Instead of watching football all day Saturday, I'm talking to myself, do I ever seek God? So watch what takes place here. We're getting close. Verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now get this, Moses is telling God this. He's saying, God, you're telling me I'm going to go up, but you never told me who's going with me. And Moses is telling God right here, listen, if you don't go, I'm not going. Now, when he tells him this, I look and think, dear me, look how bold he is. He's talking to God right here. Verse 13, now therefore I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us out of here. So you know what Moses tells him? He says, listen, God, if your presence, isn't, your presence isn't going, I'm not going. Now he gets real bold with God. Verse 16. From how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your signs, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. You know what Joshua knew, or Moses knew? God's presence is what distinguishes people. The presence of God on them. How many of you have ever got around somebody that, I mean, the presence of God was all over them? I've gotten around people like that before, man. I started repenting. It's like, dear Lord, I sense God all over them. I knew a lady that, she got to be 105 years old before she went to be with Jesus. And when she would begin to speak, I'm telling you, this little guy, I would stand at attention, I was like, just the presence of God. This is what he's talking about. Just the presence of God. Verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing. Why? That you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Oh, that's powerful. God said, because you've spoken, because you've asked. Now watch verse 18. And he said, please show me your glory. Moses' passionate plea for God to show him his glory is one of the most intimate encounters between man and God ever recorded. Think about this. Our Moses said, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. This is how God deals with me with verses like that. I sit there and I begin to meditate on what Moses said to him. Please show me your glory. Here's the question God asked me. Have you ever asked me? Have you ever asked me to show me your glory? To show me my glory? See, a question you've got to ask yourself. Have you ever asked God? Lord, show me your glory. You know what the Lord said to me? He said, you ask me all the time for provision. You need money. You say, Father God, I need, I, need, I need my bills paid. I need this, I need that. And I don't believe there's anything wrong with it. Except when I never come to this intimate part with God and say, Father God, show me your glory. I want to know you, Lord. I, I want to know your glory. I want to know your love. I want to know your peace. I want to know you I want to know you in an intimate way. I want to know you like Zephaniah and Obadiah and Zechariah and Jeremiah. I want to know you that way. But most of the time, we never ask that. We get too busy for Him. That's why this is so powerful when I read it. And it's changed me when I pray. Lord, show me your glory. It changes me when I worship. Lord, I want to come into your glory. I want to come into your presence. Verse 19. Then He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Wow, what a promise. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, i got to stop with the but. You know why he says but? He said, listen Moses, we got one small problem here, buddy. And Moses is thinking, what's that problem? Keep reading that verse. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me that way and live. So he's telling Moses, he's saying, listen, buddy, if you see me, you're going to die. I don't want to die. Then you can't see me that way. So look what God does. Now, remember I said earlier, the Old Testament is shadows of the New Testament. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Now watch this here because there's going to be some things that are really going to help us. Verse 21. And the Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. So Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. God said, you can't see that or you die. And God says, so this is what we're going to do. Stand on that rock. Keep reading. So it shall be while my glory passes by. That I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I will put you in the crevice of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. So two things the Lord says right there. Number one, he said, listen Moses, you got to stand on the rock. And number two, you got to allow yourself to literally get in the rock. He said, I don't get it pastor. You will. Keep reading. You see, when I preach, you guys don't know. I know the end result, okay? I cheat. I got it all written out here in Scripture. Man, I've studied and studied. So he's getting ready, really, really getting ready to get good. Verse 23. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. But he said, I'm going to show you my glory, Moses. Go to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, we're jumping here into the New Testament. Oh, you're getting ready to get blessed. I promise you. First <laughs> Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, believers, I do not want you to be unaware, or I don't want you to ever forget that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses, remember when they crossed the Red Sea, in the cloud and the sea. Now we get real quick, he's talking about Moses here, verse 3. All the Israelites ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Jesus. So I take you back to Exodus 33. When God told Moses to stand on the rock, you know who he told him to stand on? Stand on Jesus, big boy. And not only stand on Jesus, let Jesus take you in. I'll put you in the crevice of the rock. He said, Allow Jesus to come into your heart and allow Jesus to start changing you. And so, when I look at all this that he's talking about here, Moses met with God. M E T met. The M there stood for miracles. Not only did he get to witness all the miracles, The greatest miracle that ever happens in a human being's life is when they give their heart to Jesus. And when you give your heart to Jesus, guess what? You're on the rock. The E stands for experiences. Over and over and over again, you saw that Moses kept experiencing the things of God. You know why? He kept getting in God's presence. Every day he would begin to hang out with God, and God would move. The T here... Stands for testimony. And God wants every one of us to tell our stories. Where we look at other people and we say, you know what the Lord's done for me? But when I look at the testimonies that he talks about in the Bible, all these Old Testament saints, God gave the full version of their testimony. God never gave the edited version. When you study Moses' life, it didn't try to hide that he committed murder. We read that. And so he was saying, You were a murderer. But your mess becomes your message. And I look at King David's life. When you read about King David's life, you get the full version. The Bible's very clear that Mo, or David got into sexual sin, he was an adulterer. And he committed murder. The Bible does not try to hide it. When you read about Rahab, it doesn't say, Rahab had a few sin problems. Oh, it said, Rahab the harlot. It's the full version. And the person who walks in freedom is the person who can openly discuss it. And many times in our churches, people don't want to give the full version because we don't want our reputation to be ruined. Well, the truth is, we ought to tell the true version and say, look, look, look what the Lord has done. Look what happened when I stood on the rock. Look what happened when I got in the crevice of the rock. I'm not proud of the things I've done, guys, but I'll stand before you and I won't blink an eyelash and I will say, Pastor Stormy used to be a slobbering drunk, but Jesus set him free. I'll even go a step farther for you. Pastor Stormy used to be sexually immoral, but God set him free. And again, I don't boast in those things. I'm just telling you what Jesus has done. He'll set you free. And again, I want to highlight, your mess is your message. See, the worst thing we do as Christians is when we try to hide things, we talk big, but we don't live it. We talk about the things of God, and then when people start finding out the other things you do, they look at you and say, Well, if you lied about that, what else will you lie about? I'm not preaching being perfect, but I am preaching tell the truth. Now, we're going to end today with this Mark chapter 9. Watch this. Mark chapter 9. And you're going to see not only the significance of Moses. But you're going to see the rock. This will come alive to you right here. Mark 9, verse 2. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John and led them up to a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. That'll get your attention. Jesus takes you up there and he gets transfigured before you. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow. Such as no launderer on the earth can wipe them. Bleach won't do what this was. So get this. Peter, James, and John are up there, and Jesus is transfiguring. All of a sudden, man, he, he becomes a white. There is no white to explain. And can you imagine their eyes? They're looking like, oh, my gosh, what are we doing here? And Elijah appeared to them with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. Oh, so Peter's like, oh my gosh, I'm about to wet my pants. Watch this, verse 7. And a cloud came and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. Why is that so significant? Elijah was the fulfillment of the prophets. Moses was the fulfillment of the law. But Jesus was the fulfillment of every bit of it. And Father God said in verse 7, he said right there, this is my beloved son, hear him. So you know what he tells us? Jesus was above the law, and Jesus was above the prophets. So get a hold of what Jesus says. And the way we do that is we learn, I'm going to stand on the rock. I'm going to live on the rock. I'm going to start getting in the crevice of the rock. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit FaithChurchLubbock.com.